Welcome to Subtitles, where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015, starting with number one and working down. I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. Here's how this works. The two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about the original entry, and sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it. But this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the subtitles albums list. Then, in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the subtitles movies list. Sometimes I'll have seen the movies, sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums, but at the end of the day, what matters is how well we've sold the titles. At the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. Once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on, but before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is The Carter 3, Lil Wayne's 2008 album. Um, you know, it's called the third one. It's, it's really hard to say how many albums Lil Wayne has. It really depends on your definition of album. <laughs> um, dude had released probably hundreds of songs already at this point um i'm gonna get into that a little bit more but this man was prolific in the 2000s and it's honest like it's still impressive just like the sheer amount of content that he put out um but the carter three again out in 2008 um it's certainly not like the first thing that gets him attention um but I think maybe it's the first full album of his that, like, stands. I mean, clearly, because it's on this list and the other ones aren't. But, like, that, like, stands as, okay, this is Wayne's uh, greatness on full display. Like, he, he maintained it for, what, like, 75 minutes, this album is. Um, so, like, I think the Carter Three is kind of the moment of, of that for little Wayne that like it all came together and it holds up over a whole album. And like, here's this kind of master statement that, you know, clearly to spin, and it's not only to spin it's still a lot of places. Like this is the one that holds up. Um, I'm sure there are partisans for other ones, probably the Carter four in particular. Um, but you know, the, this seems to be the one and I think it'll always be the one. Um, he's still relatively young, but I don't think he has another stretch like this in him. Um, you know that like 2000 to let's say 2012 range um but again he's only 39 so who knows um but this is you know this is peak wheezy uh this is him at his apex um in terms of output and talent and popularity uh and it all comes together into this for him kind of magical album um it's also on a you know personal level i suppose like this is kind of the moment where i lose a lot of depth of knowledge about hip-hop um 
don't laugh at me um like it, it kind of starts here and extends after this we're just like i just don't know as much um and i like i i I'm certainly not as familiar with like B or C level stuff as I am with some of the years before this. Um, so there is kind of this changing of the guard here, like, right? Wheezy's, you know, in 2008, you could reasonably say he's on top. Um, you know, Kanye straddles this line, and I, you know, I know Kanye stuff. We've made that clear in other episodes, but like, Wheezy's kind of on top here. Like, Drake is coming. Um, and, you know, now there's all kinds of, of rappers who, I don't know. I don't know if the title's clear at this point, so to speak. Like, I, I do. I think it's Kendrick, um, and I think most people would agree, but just in terms of, like, output and commercial success, um, I think there's a lot of options out there. But, like, this is sort of the moment where my knowledge of it all severs, and, like, that extends to Wheezy, too. I don't know a lot of Little Wayne. I don't listen to a lot of Little Wayne um so you know i'm going to talk about this album but i suppose I, f I felt the need to preface that that like this is kind of an interesting personal moment for me because this is really one that like i understand as massive uh in terms of success and influence um, but it is not one that like did anything for me in 2008 and i appreciate it differently now but it's just it's not one of the ones that like it didn't hit me in the same way it hit a lot of the people our age, honestly. Um, and I don't know exactly what that is, but like that's, I suppose, just the personal connection for me. You look like you want to add to this or make fun of me. No, I think this is um, this is one that I got by osmosis. We've talked about albums that I know I've gotten by osmosis, and um there was there was a time in my life when people were more or less greeting each other by saying we are not the same i am a martian at one another um and like this i think you've hit sort of a an interesting thing where there is not an obvious um cock of the rock i guess to to be leading the charge for for rap at this particular moment or hip hop at this particular moment like it it really does seem like like that weird space where you have to you have to sort of say well wheezy is but like if he's the belt holder um this is not kanye this is not jay-z this is not Nas. this is not kendrick lamar this is not even drake necessarily depending on on where your where your valuation is of like what they're doing like there is I, I seem to remember there was a certain level of anxiety about it then um mm -hmm. I missed Eminem that he's not Eminem. Like there's <laughs> like, there's just something interesting about like, you know, this, if this is our, if this is our best representative right now, or at least our most interesting. And he is, he's definitely interesting. Um, <laughs> like as a musician, there is, there is a lot of interesting stuff happening on this album. Um, it, it does sort of feel like a fallow period um, where one might not be, inspired to get into the b and c level stuff if this is the a level stuff it's uh it's just a weird moment like outcast has fizzled out at this point jc is ostensibly retired though we see now that didn't last um m is uh, struggling quite a lot at this point um and he's not back to his kind of revival level yet 
um, Kanye is in, right, this is kind of the 808s and Heartbreak era, which in hindsight, massively influential uh, at the moment, kind of went under the radar by his standards anyway. Um, so, you know, he's kind of in a, in a lull, uh, it seems, like Ludacris and Nelly and that variety, like they aren't as popular anymore. Um and it's before Kendrick and and Drake pop off. Um, it's certainly before like, uh, you know, Tyler the Creator, Danny Brown, or Earl Sweatshirt. Um, you know, any of these newer, um, newer rappers who, you know, kind of, I don't know. I think they're they're like cut from Wayne's cloth, just in terms of maybe like styling or kind of the you know, how they wear the eccentricities on their sleeves. Um, right, so Wayne is in this weird kind of middle middle space. Um, and again, I don't, I, like, I, w- I was there. I was listening to music. I don't remember a ton of what's happening around this at the time. <laughs> um, but the Carter Three lasts, and, and Lil Wayne lasts. And, you know, I think he's certainly he's interesting um that may be an understatement like and he's he, like he's good he has all the respect um but yeah what you were saying like it, it like he's kind of the he's on top or he's sort of the champion of a period where it's like what was happening from like 2007 to 2011 um it's, it's just this weird moment um and I, I like i know there are people out there with a much better sense of it than what i have um but yeah, it's just this weird, uh, I suppose, transition phase, and that's kind of how I want to talk about um, what Wayne is up to and what and, and like uh, part of the importance of the Carter Three. But um, I guess I'll just lead with you. Uh, what? Oh, you have your hand up anyway. But I was just gonna ask, like, what stood out about this one? Well, I was I was gonna offer a comparison first. Do you remember when R. A. Dickey won the Cy Young Award? <laughs> I have forgotten, but now I remember. (laughs) All right. So for those of us who are coming to the music and movies podcast and not expecting baseball, R.A. Dickey (laughs) was like a like a journeyman uh, knuckleballer who like figured it out for this really brief stretch um, in 2012 and like won the Scion Award was like genuinely contending as like one of the best pitchers in baseball for like 15 minutes and like that's kind of how i feel about lil wayne and this album to some extent it's just like what a weird thing to happen like clayton kershaw existed um but it was r.a dickey in 2012 who they just sort of looked at and said this is the best pitcher in the national league and like that's kind of how i feel about about wheezy who is like I don't like there's some parts of this album that are so insistent um, and like insistent in this kind of like, I don't know, um, loud, intense way or sometimes in that sort of like nasally saccharine way that like I feel like is like very, very him. <laughs> um, and then then there are parts of it which feel so random and strange that I almost don't know what to do with them, but I like them. And I like that. He's just kind of completely separate from what's happening in, 
in the instrumentals or, or the mix or whatever. Like he's just like, he's just doing something and like it works. And that's the thing that kind of gets me about this is like for the first few songs, cause I had never listened to this straight through. I just went with the hits, but like the first couple songs, I'm just like, Oh, this is going to be a very long 75 minutes. And then after like, it was like it's like a weird slow burn thing. I associate this with movies or novels. I associate this feeling with novels where you get through 150 pages and you're like, oh, here we go. Now it's starting. You know, like that's kind of how I felt with this album as it just like it takes a while to get somewhere or for me or more accurately, it takes a while for for the listener to like figure out what to do with this guy. And then once you're sort of stockholm syndrome into being in with him like you just kind of go with it and it works yeah i think it like <clears throat> it's just kind of the buy-in of like you have to get used to his weirdness and realize that like it's the thing and it's not like it's not gonna go away and it actually just gets weirder and it gets better as it gets weirder um yeah i agree with you that like this one um like it's a it's definitely a builder um and i think the strongest moments are in like the middle or like early back half um i'm curious what like do you have a favorite song on this one oh that's a that's a interesting question favorite seems like a strong word um i appreciate phone home a lot you know the one that got the strongest reaction from me, and maybe this is actually kind of a good place to start, is Mrs. Officer, which I, I feel like <laughs> I hate. I kind of hated it too. It just like it. It was the kind of thing where, like, as I was listening to it, like I kind of wished that I had been filming myself or like at least looking into a mirror just to see the faces I was making as it was happening. But that feels like that feels like the not the actual centerpiece of the album, but like it's, it's the thing that I think I'd lead someone off with if they were like, so what do you think he's doing on, on the Carter three? I think I would start there and just say the man is just free associating from here to like, I don't know the asteroid belt and coming back and doing stuff. And I don't know if he's thinking about anything he's saying, but he knows it goes together by the, the barest and thinnest of threads and he just sticks it there. And, and I just feel like that's where I would have to start. If I were, if I were in charge of, of leading us through this album, it, it goes together by just sheer force of Wheezy's will <laughs> or like his his charisma i guess um I, I think a great example of this is on mr carter where jay-z shows up um both of their last names is carter so makes sense um and like it's a pretty good verse from jay like it, it's it, technically it's pretty interesting like he's coming to this with you know he's pulling out some enjambment and like sasura like he's doing i like it's clear that jay has has poetry things yeah like well like <laughs> massive knowledge of the form but like seriously though and like 
so he's able to toy with it in that way and like break it down and like okay he understands the form we can see the ways that he's he's messing with it like he's breaking it apart but like it always kind of right you can you you notice his handle of the thing a free association is is good but just like he's just straight free verse like the most radical free verse with no regard for what's happening around him like either it's gonna bend to what he's doing or it's not um and i think like i think it's really well illustrated on mr carter um and you know the the whole time as the albums go but like to like that's just a moment to me because it's like you have just that that impressive technical skill of jay-z juxtaposed to <laughs> Lil wayne's just from his own planet man like the rules don't matter um i think that extends to like his apparent hatred for choruses like mm-hmm. none of these songs have like much structure really um it is just kind of him like free associating or just him kind of going for three, four, five minutes. Like eventually it ends and he's cut, he's into something new. Um, yeah, I don't know, man, somehow it all works, but like it never should. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about his, his charisma or his delivery or like, I can't break it down to make it make sense, but it just kind of works. <laughs> I think a lot of it does sort of come down to the delivery. Cause like, I don't know that I, I mean, obviously he is a charismatic person because otherwise you don't become who he is, but like he completely bounces off me as a human being. I have no interest in what he thinks or, or how he feels, but I think it is the delivery. It is like just yeah. the absolute literal offbeat kind of delivery where he, is just saying things and it's got this music behind it. And I don't know, like I, I almost feel like he's in the wrong genre. Like there's a, there's a world in which this guy gets really into like experimental music and goes to like Berkeley music school or something and ends up being like a Schoenberg style, style composer and instead he's this and i'm just like this is such a weird fit and i'm i find myself compelled by how he says things and almost not at all by what he actually says <laughs> well what he actually says is like bad most yeah. of the time like there's yep. sort there are awful metaphors and similes across this whole thing like truly cringy <laughs> um uh like it's just it's never the point it never should be the point um and yeah when i say charisma here like i don't like i don't feel i would be taken in by him like in person but i don't know i guess just something about like as you were saying like delivery like there's just some aura it's like you kind of just keep going with it um i you know the standouts here amelie um probably the biggest one or lollipop i don't actually know which one's bigger lollipop is just straight up from space um that might actually be my favorite though (laughs) um that's a lie actually lala might be my favorite um Mm. because that one is abidingly weird and buster rhyme shows up and i am workshopping a take now that busta is the tim wakefield to uh (laughs) to we sees r.a dickie um 
if you want to go literally inside baseball with us. Um, anyway, um, it's Little Wayne. You know Little. If you've heard Little Wayne, you know Little Wayne. Um, how do I want to talk about Little Wayne in the Carter Three? Well, I want to. I want to put out a couple of things here. Um, our theme today is. Uh, best album nominees 2009 so at the 2009 grammy ceremony the carter three was nominated for best album um nominee is deliberate here it did not win neither the the two substitutions but we're looking at three albums that were nominated for best album um and i want to bend that a little bit to not make tim just pick like which one should have won but more like Okay, well, if we're thinking of them in 2009, or let's say in 2008, kind of that area, um, you know, how do these albums stand as, in hindsight, granted, like, kind of representatives of that moment? Um, You know, how do they fit into the 09 of it all? Like, why, why could be, why could they be the best of representing, like, a moment? Um, we've talked a little bit about how little wayne fits weirdly into like what hip-hop is up to um i think two major things here one is his manipulation or, or not even manipulation just usage of internet and marketing and how he figured out to kind of be a, an artist that exists on and through the web before a lot of other people did or at least on a scale no one had really done before yet um and that extends to uh, what I said at the top that like it's hard to actually figure out like how many albums does Little Wayne have because he was just releasing mixed mixtapes, giving out songs for free. Like there's just so much music he was giving away and putting on the internet and just uh, delivering that it's hard to like really put it all together and tell how much he has. Um, and that served a couple purposes it was like him practicing in real time really uh and also building a base and i think right that's endearing to some degree certainly then too where it's like oh we just get free music from you or like we get this constant stream of it um you know there's a lot of appeal to that so i think his ability to navigate that kind of not early internet but like that early streaming maybe um like he's kind of a proto example of that he's sort of like you know he kind of made himself soundcloud before soundcloud came to be um like i, th- I think in that we can see right that was just sort of wheezy's model for a while um and so i think in 2009 like that's particularly important as well um and right it's going to be a way that a lot of artists after him come up um not that it hadn't happened before but like just the the way it is bound to internet and web sharing and streaming um kind of this different thing that he just got a handle on either earlier than most people or just at a larger scale than most people um and another thing too like you mentioning he seems like he should just be doing something else anything else (laughs) um his and this goes back to like right he's kind of straddling these eras or he's in these weird moments i think you can hear that through a lot of the carter three too um constant references to biggie tupac and jay-z as like the the titans um and him you know putting his name with them like that's right that's a typical trope of like if i put my name with the greats 
there you go. I'm with them. Um, but you know, those three in particular, interesting choices, um, common choices, but like, right there, that's a particular era. Um, so he's setting himself as kind of the lineage of that while not really mentioning too much, uh, his, his cash money days. Um, Lil Wayne came up back in that juvenile episode, um, because he was like 16 or 17 at the time and was on 400 degrees. Um, so they don't come up in name as much, but I think you can still hear some of that influence, like some of the bounce is still here that like, um, you know, just that thump of it all, the loudness, that kind of, um, aggressive partiness to it all. Um, and I think like not fully, but you can, in the weirdness of Wayne's delivery, like I hear a little bit of juvenile in there, um, or at least, you know, he was taking notes at the time and realized, hmm, you can do some real weird shit and like make it work if you have the requisite talent. Um, so to me, there's a little juvenile in there. Um, and I think, you know, musically, he's in this space between, you know, G-Funk of the 90s and like the 808 electric stuff that right, Kanye is about to make big in particular, um, but Wayne is sort of on this precipice as well. Um, Drake's going to make it even bigger then. Um, he's caught between, right, boasts or like, you know, maybe what we think of as like stereotypical, like, uh, I'll just say like boasting rap, right? Putting his name with the greats, uh, speaking to his own skill, slinging his dick, um, like all of this stuff. In between, like from that to genuine feeling, um, which is going to become much, much more ingrained in what rappers are up to now in particular, but like in, in the 2010s, um, you know, it sort of presages like emo rap stuff or mumble rap, um, but just like, you know, kind of an emo-ness to it, really, um, that like he's in this kind of transition period where, you know, feeling and emotion is going to be more important um or or at least more prevalent um and i think you know a lot of a lot of the artists that follow him followed suit there um that this has become a bigger thing so i think the carter three is at an interesting crossroads in a lot of ways and i think it it stands there pretty well like i think it's an effective bridge um you know thinking about not even progression progression of eras necessarily, but just like generational shifts. Um, and Little Wayne, like he he's been influential, and I think there are like interesting kind of like real ways to track that. Um, and I think that Carter Three is at the heart of that um, because it stands in this this weird little moment. Um, so again, we're looking at best album nominees of 09, but that's sort of how I fit the the Carter three into it. And that's right along similar lines. I'm going to look at the other two, but um, anything you want to add here, Tim? I mean, in the, in the tradition of what we've been talking about, I almost don't even know what I would say. So I feel like, I feel like now is a great time to just go to what we came for with, All right, well, well, okay. But with one of these albums, that makes even less sense to me on the whole than the Carter three. Anyway, we'll let, we'll let listeners riddle out which one I mean. <laughs> I'm 
curious which one you mean, and I think it's going to make me mad. Um, hey, Tim, you want to play a game? I may have spoiled the game already, but but go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I have a couple of games for you this episode, actually. The first okay. one is okay. what, won, what won album of the year in 2009? Okay, so I'm glad that I spoiled this game by looking it up. I don't know if you saw my face um a little bit earlier but oh, that's it was what you the, were looking at it was the part where my eyes were bugging out of my head like i know people say it all the time and like i know the oscars have problems and <laughs> and just like i don't i don't understand anything the grammys do and i know no one does and i understand at that point at like at the point we're at now that's the that's the the joke like that's their reason for being is just no one has any idea what's happening just complete confusion like i don't i've never i've never heard raising sand by robert plant and allison krauss before <laughs> for all i know <laughs> it's it's been touched by god but just like how That's did they come good. up with this <laughs> I'm I'm sure it's great. Those are two great people, and T Bone Burnett produced it. Apparently, like this, mm -hmm. I, I would believe it's a great album. Just like I have, I have no idea what the criteria are. Like I look at the five albums they have for 2009, and I have no idea what the criteria were. It's a, a like I've said this on multiple episodes, comparing it to like the Oscars or the AFI in particular, but just like music critics have a healthier relationship with the grammys because everyone realizes the grammys are absolutely insane um and you just sort of live with that like they're just kind of a joke thing and this is a really really good year to illustrate that um yeah album of the year is raising sand by robert plant who if you don't know him offhand is the or was the lead singer of led zeppelin and allison krauss <laughs> um it's a good album. It just does not fit with what else is happening here. Um, the Carter Three is obviously here. Uh, the album we're not going to deal with is Year of the Gentleman by Neo, which is not an album I remember at all. Um, and the two we are going to deal with... <laughs> can, I, can I just say really quickly... Yeah, go ahead. That if, if you had, like... I understand it would not have been good radio, but like if you had made me sit here and guess who the people involved with the other ones were first of all not only would i have not known but second of all i might have come up with one of robert plant or allison krauss before i came up with neo like that's <laughs> that is not an album i have any memory of either i honestly probably should have done neo because he seems like such a vestige of 2009 <laughs> uh -huh. that makes more sense but we didn't go that route um so the two we're going to look at, it's also just amazing that like, you know, maybe Plant himself is not a household name, but like Zeppelin is. And then you have Lil Wayne and two rock bands that are huge. And then Neo. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're going to be talking about um, Radiohead and their uh, actually 2007. It was a really late December 2007 album um, in Rainbows and coldplay and their 2008 album viva la vida or death and all his friends i've been so ready to have the coldplay episode i'm so excited 
um, but we're going to do more Grammys nonsense first, just so I can illustrate how weird this year was to people. Let's ride. How, yeah, how deep did you go <laughs> down the list? <laughs> I didn't. I just looked at album of the year. I didn't look at the 09 ceremony at all. All right, all right. So record of the year, which for oh, people I can't even his, tell. Oh my god, his song, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I, well, I'm just I'm I'm going to tell you these. Um, okay, okay. So the winner, the winner is Plant and Krauss again. Please okay. read the letter. Yeah, uh, I would. Other... I probably would have guessed. Not that I can name any of the songs on that album, but I would have. I would have at least guessed something from that album first. <laughs> yeah. So I'm partially doing this because it's remember some guys time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The other nominees. So Viva La Vida, Coldplay is there. Okay. Uh, there's no Radiohead here though, but otherwise we have Paper Planes by M.I.A. All right. Which we talked about in a past episode. Um. Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis. Ooh, yeah. And Chasing Pavements by Adele, which somehow did not win. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Now we get to Song of the Year. Yes, the Grammys makes this distinction. I still don't totally know what it means. Um, people thought people thought <laughs> the difference between sound editing and sound mixing was a pain in the butt. This doesn't make any <laughs> sense to anyone either. And like I can read, I can read an explainer on this every day for the rest of my life, and I would not be able to explain what the difference is. I, 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 every year I I read it again and promptly forget it. Every year, just completely over my head. Uh, But anyway, Viva La Vida won this one. Um, Why not? Why not? Uh, (laughs) Chasing Chasing Pavements was nominated again, Uh, and then we have three new ones um american boy which is not a song i remember uh by estelle i think it was like some rapper lost a time um okay (laughs) here we got we got bigger ones now um i'm yours jason mraz okay yeah and favorite of your manager potentially love song by sarah Bareilles. okay so not only is my manager represented here, but my father is too, because he had like a big Jason Mraz face, <laughs> which I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the New Jersey man's desire to find a younger, hipper Billy Joel when one enters one's middle age. But <laughs> I can only I can only imagine that is what my dad was after. The truth that is universal. <laughs> um <laughs> All right, I'm going to read one more at you and then get into the two that Radiohead and Coldplay actually matter in. Um, best new artists. I just think this one's fun. This one's always fascinating. I'm always I'm always so fascinated by who they choose and how that person has actually been famous for 10 years already. Yeah, this one's actually pretty stacked. Um, Adele was the winner. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Duffy was here. Okay. Who, yeah, has solid, solid name. And I remember. Uh, I remember Duffy. Yeah. Uh, Jonas Brothers are here. That seems so strange to me somehow. Uh, they're here. Uh, Lady Ant or what? Are they? They're Lady A now. Lady A because of yeah. the Civil War, we're against that now. Yeah, but at the time, Lady Antebellum, they're yeah. here. Um, and Jasmine Sullivan, who I remember, Jasmine Sullivan. She, remember um, some guys. Yeah, she. Uh, her album from last year too, Hotels, Hotels, um, very well reviewed. Like it ended up on a lot of uh, year end lists, like near the top. So she had 
she had a great year last year, so she's hanging in there. Good for her. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean is... that without any sarcasm. Like, I'm glad she's. I'm glad she's still putting stuff out there. Yeah, no, like she's that album last year was really good too. Like, she's doing the thing. I like I emphasize that because I think she's probably the like least widely known name of these five um at this point anyway but like she's still doing good work um i just think that's a that's a fascinating group of five and like all of them are still like they're still doing something or they're they're a name anyway um it makes me wonder if this podcast really just shouldn't be one episode on each of the fields for best new artist at the grammys just <laughs> <laughs> like if either one of us like was just on meth like i feel like that would be the podcast we'd have to do um i also just want to give a shout out to the mars volta who won best hard rock performance with wax simulacra so, all right all right i like great that song they like beat that. out just they beat out disturbed judas priest motley crew and rob zombie so. what year was it when they won this <laughs> don't ask questions um <laughs> do they time right, travel yeah i got uh i got two more here and this okay so it's best rock album do you think radiohead or coldplay won this one? Oh, I, i'm willing to bet that neither one of them won this one coldplay won this one okay all right uh over kid rock kings oh, of leon boy. metallica oh, and the raconteurs <laughs> oh the raconteurs what a what a moment <laughs> this is i thought this year is fascinating okay and then best alternative music album radiohead one okay yeah so and uh the carter three won best hip-hop album so we have three best album nominees and also three albums that won their like specific their, genre they're special yeah, yeah 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 um so in rainbows wins it beats out beck death cab for cutie gnarls barkley and my morning jacket that's a good i like that group that's a that's a nice group Okay, anyway, that was our, our journey through uh, through Grammy's history. So I think, I think what I learned from this was that we had this extended, this extended, like, I don't know, what's the word? Uh, an extended sojourn where we couldn't figure out what was going on in the world of rap and hip-hop and decided that the world appears to have just chosen Wheezy. But it feels like... <laughs> It feels like no one else had any idea what they were doing either, and thus they either time traveled or just chose Wheezy. And I like, <laughs> I blame Barack Obama. Well, let's look at uh, best rap album. I, oh, I didn't plan on doing this, but let's see what they were up to. Um, so the Carter Three wins. Lil okay. Wayne, uh, Jay Z. This is American Gangster. So I think this is like right after he reneged on his retirement. Um, a bad album bad album yeah i was about um, to say that's not one that comes up a whole lot in the no. the uh the cool by lupe fiasco which i good remember album, that one yeah. album we yeah, talked yeah. about that one that's in an old episode um nas is self-titled i honestly don't remember that one um and paper trail by ti when ti was probably the like b-level rap star at this moment <laughs> Oh, I had forgotten that T.I. existed. <laughs> um, anywho, let's talk about Radiohead. <laughs> let's talk about Radiohead. Let's talk about Radiohead. And in Rainbows, again, this comes out late 2007. So it either just missed the like eligibility line or Radiohead didn't bother. <laughs> um, 
that seems right. I'd, be- I'd believe either, honestly. Um, <clears throat> kind of famously, well, connecting this to Wheezy right away, sort of famously, like, sur- I don't think it was, like, surprise dropped, but it was surprise announced um, and then dropped fairly fairly soon after that um and also dropped as a a pay what you want thing um and that was like the initial marketing buzz on in rainbows um that like radiohead was just workshopping a bunch of songs faked everyone out with this album of like stuff that was not that no one was assuming was on there um released it pretty quickly and sort of as a surprise and then it was pay what you want and you know, I said Lil Wayne sort of was a proto SoundCloud in himself. Um, I don't know if this literally predated Bandcamp, but like this is kind of proto Bandcamp, um, or or certainly a, a much bigger model of it at the time. Um, <clears throat> so I think already, you know, for an album that is not as transgressive to their own history as some of Radiohead's previous efforts. Uh, in terms of release and marketing and just like how they fit this into the actual actual industry industry side of things um you know how they made it fully of themselves pretty much like they took kind of ownership in that way big moment in 2007 um and something that artists are still struggling with but i think you see radio here radiohead here kind of working with a model that certainly become more popular but it still has its thorns like it works a lot better when you're radiohead's level of popularity certainly um but just kind of something genuinely novel at the time especially for a band this big especially for a band that record labels would pay a lot of money for um you know they just took a swing like they they they're they're in it for themselves and this was kind of a new uh i guess confirmation of that so we start there. I think that's particularly important in the moment, especially. Um, it's the thing you know, that um, that when when the album came out, like I again in two thousand nine, I was not super plugged in, like maybe even less so than now somehow. But like I, I I knew that this was the pay what you want album. Like I didn't know anything about the music on here. Like I had no idea. Um, what kind of what kind of songs they put on there or where it fit into their into their larger of but like i knew that this was the pay as you go album like the one that you just put down a figure and and do what you want yeah i I mean that was the thing that got the most press um and i mean this album has a lot of great songs but it didn't have a single really or maybe a standout um so uh yeah i mean the big thing was it with it was the pay what you want and uh, right i think in that we have a big band with uh a def uh, like with a definite station a definite status taking a swing at this new model and like actually setting that up for for future bands if they want it or for something like Bandcamp, like right kind of like wheezy like just creating this kind of alternative model that is possible um again a lot of thorns it it just can't be successful for smaller artists in the same way um but right it's something like it's actually interesting it's actually novel and like um you know an attempt at kind of some sort of equity in the industry um or or in consumption anyway um 
so big moment i think still i think we kind of undervalue it now but yeah certainly at the time i remember it too as like that was the first thing you heard it's like did you get like it's pay what you want Mm -hmm. um and this idea that no one could believe it either like that was the other thing just like no one can believe that that's happening which is which is really like the kind of the funny thing in retrospect but i mean it was 2009 like no one could believe that was happening I, it's like it's always an interesting social contract thing too but like like i know some bands like los campesinos i know does this um where they have right like the the cost of some merch and then like a reduced cost thing for impoverished uh, peoples or families um and they're like look we put them both there and we just trust our fans um you know they'll do what they need they'll do what's right um and for the most part that really works out for them i think for the most part it pretty much worked out here for radiohead and that's how Bandcamp subsists itself like people will give if they can they'll support the artists um but it just like it opens up access for other people so um i think radiohead really kind of at the forefront for this at least given how big their name was and to actually take this shot so even though i think people people really hate this album because i found it on the pitchfork um top 200 listener albums this is this is funny but where do you know where this comes in on the pitchfork readers list of the past 25 years it's fourth okay but the reason I, I say that is because Kid A and OK Computer are first, and then they snuck a Kanye in there real fast, and then they put in rainbows. So people must really not like this one. Uh, yeah, no, uh, that, well, that's actually a moment, uh, something I want to get into next. Um, it's like, I forget where it was, but some publication, I think they did like the 2010s, and it was like three national albums, <laughs> like the top five. Um which look, I'm a sad white man. I support it, but that's also <laughs> wrong. Um, so anyway, I, I want to get that in place first. As like that's one one way in which this album is illustrated of and really important to the moment. Um, kind of that that marketing, that industry strategy, in a similar way to the Carter Three. Um, and I'm going to get into the music in a second, but I I wanted to lead with you, kind of on that note. Um, I have a hard time figuring out what to do with this album as like, in terms of its general popularity. I have some theories, but I was just wondering like, what stood out to you on this one? Or like, do you have a favorite song? Like where, where is it? So we've worked with okay. Computer and kid a obviously on previous episodes. So like, where does this fit for you and kind of your assessment of Radiohead? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fun question. I mean, it's it's not either of those, right? Um, it's um, gosh, what's the most obtuse possible comparison I could make here? Um, well, you already burned R.A. Dickey, so well, that wasn't obtuse. That was actually in the spirit <laughs> of what we were doing of the remember that's some fair. guys thing. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of which art house director I could get into here. That would just be completely alienating for everyone. Um, you know, I, I think about like the, the kid, a okay computer of it all. And if, if this were an Ingmar Bergman filmography instead, then like kid, a would be persona. 
an okay computer would be like the seventh seal or something and in rainbows by that calculation oh gosh what would in rainbows be in rainbows might be like the silence or something just sort of like obviously very good and there's like a certain niche of people who are really going to get into it but like listening to this i don't like i I didn't get the sense of like and this is such a stupid thing to say but i didn't get the sense of history you know what i mean like i didn't feel like i was listening to like something historically great i felt like i was listening to a very very good album um and like this is another one where i mean it's not literally half the length of the carter three but it feels like it um it's it's re- it's really a pretty brisk album and i really liked the the back half of this a lot like i really really liked reckoner house of cards jigsaw falling into place like that stretch was was to me i'm like all right this is what i came here for this is the radiohead i really like like it's not the 15th step and and body snatchers and nude don't sound um don't sound like radiohead but there was just like that extra that extra twist on those three that i just felt like okay this is this is playing in that same kind of space that i'm i'm used to what while it's on the table reckoner is for my money one of the most stunningly beautiful songs i like i absolutely love that i thought i thought that was great like that was when that was when my brain sort of like turned on again i'm like okay yes like this like i i need to be listening with more of a percentage of my brain than i was doing reckoner's top tier radiohead song and that's saying something um and like i'm i'm not there are people more in tune to radiohead than i am but i feel like i'm a pretty deep fan so like you know take that for what you will but god that song is beautiful um so the reason like i tend to agree or at least mostly um like to me you know if you just ask me to rank their albums i'd probably put this one third but if you're asking me for my favorites fourth or fifth um like, I don't think there's really a weak song on it. Um, it has some incredible moments, like Reckoner. Um, Nude is a very beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the just the jitteriness of the opening, two of 15 Steps and Body Snatchers. Um, right, there's a, a lot of good. For it. Uh, yeah, like, there's a lot of good on this album. Um, but, you know, I think the best two and my favorites are OK Computer and Kid A. Um, I'm a big fan of hail to the thief which no one else is (laughs) um so i'll stand alone on that one and like i don't know the bends probably i like it a little bit more i'm not sure that one that's why fourth or fifth like those two are close for me um so i think like you were saying this is a very good album a lot of great moments a lot to like it's one i enjoy listening to um the real reason i asked that is because my sense is that this is bigger with younger folks and oh. like maybe maybe not that much radically younger than us but like i don't know five years out and more maybe like it anecdotally this seems to be the big one to them like i think it hit uh you know the kind of micro generation after us in a different way and again i like this is all anecdotal um but that's sort of my perception and i find that really interesting if that is the case like if this is one that's going to be on the top of 
top for listeners a little bit younger than us are like what happens when the spin list ages 10 more years um and rainbows is clearly not in the top 100 because it's here but like i wouldn't be shocked if it jumps in there that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting thought i kind of i mean i would i would have a hard time putting like virtually any album above kid a and okay computer but like the having this like sort of rising and having people enjoy this like i i definitely can can get on that train if if the train is leaving from that station i'm i'm happy to be at that station to to get aboard yeah i'm i'm totally happy to see it jump more but yeah i'm like okay computer and kid a are untouchable <laughs> to me um but anyway so like i don't know i guess that is just you know it's not the same as like why did we all pick little wayne in 2008 but like I don't know, I suppose this Radiohead album in a weird spot of its own, or, or like in terms of their own history. Um, and right, there's only so many times you can reinvent your old your own wheel. And in Rainbows doesn't necessarily do that, but I think it's a really effective culmination of a lot of things that Radiohead were and are and would be. And so right beyond the kind of marketing importance of it all, musically like i think you can get kind of all modes of radiohead here and you can hear them making you know what i think in rainbows is more than anything else is a really effective uh version of all of the ways in which radiohead are influential and all of the ways in which we try to compare other bands to radiohead in rainbows is kind of the statement of like look we did it all we can do it all here it is like here's everything together um so I think you can hear kind of all the different things that they they were up to and would be up to in this album in a really fun cumulative way. Um, again, this opens with the like the antsiness, the jitteriness, um, and Greenwood actually like going back to guitar more than Kid A. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen steps and body snatchers. Like it's always fun when he just starts noodling again. Um, I think in general across this thing too. Speaking of Greenwood, like. I think you can hear a lot of okay he's doing movie soundtracks at this point i think you can hear some of that influence in here like it's it's more i think the strings are just more prevalent like it is more composed in certain ways um i think kind of the emotion or the tenor of it like it just it, it does feel and it did and it definitely feels more lush in places um so i don't like you know, I don't have hard evidence for that, I suppose, but it just, it does feel like, okay, Greenwood has some of the movie compositions now, and it feels like that's becoming part of the band here in a different way. Um, I think what else we get more of is kind of gentleness or even sweetness, really, um, relative to other stuff that Radiohead's doing, but this isn't the extreme alienation of some of their other stuff. Um, it's not the extreme loneliness or pain. Um, and you have kind of a more vulnerable Tom York, or in different ways anyway, and I think probably the most effective album for his falsetto and just how beautiful his voice can actually be, which I don't think we give enough credit for. Um, but songs like Nude or like Reckoner, absolutely stunning vocal showcases um it, york is he's just a great singer and i think you know we think of his kind of nerviness before anything 
Um, but dude has dude has chops when he wants to break them out. You looked ready to say something, but oh uh, no, it was just sort of I was thinking about about an experience of like watching Radiohead on um, on SNL with some friends once upon a time, and like again, not like I was super plugged in, but at least I understood that Radiohead was you know important <laughs> like there was like just sort of watching watching new york's performance like the the people i was with were just like not into it at all i'm like no there's there's more going on here than than you'd think there is like and not that i could have explained well what that was at the time but like there is there is the the impression that i think he gives um even to someone who was sort of like casually into into Radiohead, and then there's something like Reckoner, like you said, which is like, okay, this is this is a new or at least a different way of um, of using his voice as an instrument. Which like he doesn't like. There's so much weirdness in that in that voice, and like it's also completely singular. And I cannot imagine someone actually trying to replicate it or getting within within like a hundred yards of it it just doesn't seem possible yeah and he's a kind of literally convulsive performer yeah uh, yeah that was like what I they think, were reacting to just yeah. like not looking at the camera just like yeah i think that's just another thing like uh, tom york is singular um and it's not in a way of like a freddie mercury like it's not bombast like that not in a bad way i love freddie mercury but like it's not that like obvious outpouring of measurable skill but just something about him like the way he inhabits performance um is just like it's it's him um i can't wait for what's it gonna be like 20 29 or something maybe 2035 um whatever the the wheezy tom york album is going to be and seeing that win album of the year at the grammys is going to be just really choice uh wheezy has alienated audiences when he attempts to play guitar and i'm so excited for <laughs> tom york to make sense of it <laughs> um i think that's the only thing i would pay money to watch him do <laughs> is play guitar <laughs> anyway here's wonderwall <laughs> sung by tom york um yeah, I'm really excited for that Grammy ceremony. Now. <laughs> um, so I think in general, right, well, just to add one more thing, right, I think you can hear kind of Greenwood's changing uh, priorities in here. Um, I think you can hear some of York's too. Like, um, Nude is a song that uh, had been kind of famous in Radiohead circles for a while, but hadn't been put to tape. And finally, we get a version of that here. Um, the closer videotape, I think, starts as a Tom York kind of solo thing, and they they record it. And I think a couple other songs, it's like they have lives before the album, and then we get different versions of them or like recorded versions of them. Uh, I think Reckoner actually fits into that. Like, I think they had a much harder version of that, and then it becomes the just the beautiful thing it is on on this record. Um, and that's something that increasingly becomes part of their shtick, I think. Um, not that they've released many albums since then, 
uh, one, in fact, <laughs> but uh, right, their willingness to kind of dig into their own shared and like fan history and actually commit that to tape and like just change versions of stuff. Um, so right, I think you get all that with them and you know, that's always been a gold mine. Like that's sort of the basis of greatest hits in a way, but like, um, you know, kind of, I think we've seen increased instances of like, okay, artists going to the vault or like re-recording stuff or recording in a Taylor Swift instance, like their own versions of stuff. So like, right, this kind of statement or of artist power and control, um, you know, Radiohead doing kind of a version of that here. Um, but then again, musically, like I think you can get all the different versions here that you want. Like you can get OK Computer in a Body Snatchers. You can get um, Kid A in um, something like, uh, you know, maybe like Nude. Um, you can get in, or, or in Weird Fishes, that's probably a better example. Um, you know, you can get stuff from the Benz for maybe less Pablo Honey, but they hate that album themselves. So, um, and then you can see into the future in like a moon-shaped pool, something like videotape would kind of fit pretty well on that. Um, like, I think you can just see versions of all the band's histories here. Uh, and in Rainbows, in its own way, is kind of a back to, not back to basics, but like a back to core kind of album. Like it's the five dudes just playing. Um, and you can see all the ways that they're interpreting and interpolating their own history and all the ways that they're like new ventures outside of the band are influencing this and just they you know you can compare any number of bands to radiohead but the the entity itself can still do it better than all of them and to me that's kind of where in rainbows is um in this moment too where rock music in particular is going to have a pretty big change 09 is a big moment for like art rock so to speak like a grizzly bear and animal collective and and bands like that are about to have a big moment uh and then it's just gonna kind of die and like it is this kind of transit very transitory period for alt rock so that radiohead wins in this moment um that their kind of artistic experimental ambitions um right are about to have a sort of peak and then change into something else that Radiohead itself is also kind of setting up. Like, I think this is just uh, an album that really works for where they were in their career. And that, that does tell us something about alt rock and about how bands can, you know, pitch and sell and market themselves in, in this moment. So uh, that's in rainbows. Anything on that, Tim? Uh, not more than, than I think I've said already. Um, just that it is it was sort of nice to actually like listen to that thing straight through again and just be reminded it was not just a promotional thing even if i mean one of the themes of of this episode is clearly like going off off music or off themes a little bit right like that there's like some of the outside stuff is going to creep into the evaluation um but I don't know, that might be one of the longest discussions anyone's had of In Rainbows that was just, like, about In Rainbows. It's a good album. It like, is a good album. It, it's totally deserving of praise on its own, like, <clears throat> aside from the, the, you know, the marketing, not ploy, but, like, marketing strategy. Um, and I don't, 
again, I do think it's one that maybe is is going to end up higher in the ranks. That'll be interesting to see. Um, speaking of enjoyable experiences, mm-hmm. or not, Tim, how was Coldplay? I mean, look, I've never liked all of the Coldplay <laughs> album. Uh-oh. Someone's discovered this microphone. He says, I've never seen this before. Please feed me, human. Um, yeah, speaking of Coldplay, um, just like even the albums that people like, I have... Even the albums that people like, <laughs> I've never been able to just get all the way through. And like even the the takeaway songs, like it's not it's not X and Y for me or or a rush of blood to the head. Uh, you want to play another game? Yes. I wax rhapsodic about Coldplay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you six names. Oh, man. You tell me you tell me which three are in Coldplay. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. We all know Chris Martin. We okay. all know Chris Martin. And then it's three anonymous dudes. That's the joke. So here you go, Tim. Six names. You Six tell me names. which three are, are actually in the band. Okay. <clears throat> all right. We got uh, Jason Kenny, Will Champion, Will Disley. Johnny Buckland, Guy Berryman, and Harry Maguire. All right. Well, the last two are just racist Irish stereotypes, so that's not appropriate. Um, <laughs> Will Disley, as I recall, is still a tight end for the Seattle Seahawks, is he not? Yes, he is. Good job. Okay. So, <laughs> so the name Will Champion feels familiar. And I'm trying to decide if it feels familiar because he might be a member of Coldplay or if he might also be a Rainer the way I expect the other <laughs> Will Disley-esque members of this group to be. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. So you so you think Will Champion I is... I say Will Champion is a member of Coldplay. Correct. Okay. Um, I feel like I've read that somewhere before. Um... Is Johnny Buckland a member of Coldplay? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, so my other... I'm down to the two racist stereotypes. Uh, well, you're down to Guy Berryman, Harry Maguire, and Jason Kenny. Oh, I forgot about Jason Kenny. Uh, How dare you. <laughs> uh, just real quick, um, Will Champion is the drummer. I think he also does a lot of their production. And okay. Johnny Buckland is the guitarist. So you're looking for okay. the bassist. Okay. Oh my god. I feel bad about this now. Which one of those three guys sounds most like a bassist to me? Jason Kenny doesn't sound like a bassist. I'm I'm ruling I'm ruling him out. That's not a bassist name. He is uh I think he was an English track and fielder. <laughs> okay. I okay. Think that, I think that's where I got that from. He's not in Coldplay. Okay. Um. So I'm I'm down to the racist ones. Um. Did you say Guy Berryman? Guy Berryman and Harry Maguire. I changed my mind. It's not racist Irish stereotypes. It's just goofy characters from a pantomime. <laughs> Screw it. We're gonna go Guy Berryman. Give me the parlay on this one. Correct. Oh my God! I know everything about Coldplay. <laughs> Harry Maguire is a 
um i think a midfielder for manchester united oh that's right i think i do know (laughs) (laughs) okay so i've definitely i've definitely read about will champion before because that name stuck out to me when i was like 12 or something the other guy i johnny buckland and and guy berryman no idea zero (laughs) zero idea so well done to Tim. Uh, he figured out Coldplay and the three anonymous white dudes <laughs> besides Chris Martin. Now, what do they look like? Zero oh, God, idea. <laughs> Zero uh, idea. I can give you basic sketches, but I couldn't tell you which one's which. <laughs> no idea. No, no concept. Um, all of that just to go with the joke that no one knows the other dudes in Coldplay. Um <laughs> toby toby does not either he's angry now um all right so viva la vida or death and all his friends uh their 2008 uh experimental album as it was pitched (laughs) okay look y'all uh (laughs) i am a firm supporter of coldplay i could give you an album ranking right now if you want (laughs) I like this band. I deeply appreciate what this band does and why we have them. And I think the first five albums in particular, like that's an actually good stretch of music and everyday life from 2019. I also like that one. That one's like genuinely experimental and kind of weird in fun ways. Um, I, I like, I just like this band. I like what they're up to. Um, let me put it this way any band that can get that many people into arena and just fucking feel their feelings that's big and that's important to me (laughs) like i'm impressed by that and i am not at all mad that this band exists at this level of popularity because like that's tough and i think more people need it to just have that communal feeling experience so like good for coldplay are they platitudinous? Yeah. Are they empty platitudes? No. The reason something like fix you hits so hard is because <laughs> everyone can connect to it. Um, so I don't know. Call them like basic pop all you want. I'm going to talk about this one, how there's actually some interesting stuff happening here, I think. Um, but like this band is just good at what they do and what they do, I think, is necessary. And it's kind of thankless critically i was about Um, to say (laughs) critically 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 uh this band is not for want of money or fans but like uh i don't know they just they don't get the critical rep and like they don't need it they have all the other stuff but like i don't know that just kind of frustrates me i guess like i just appreciate that this band is like very earnest about all this this is kind of how I talked about U2 back in the Octung Baby episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you yeah. U2 doesn't work for me in the same way, but like Coldplay does. Um so that's where I'm at with this band. And like I think A Rush of Blood to the Head is a magnificent album. Um I think Parachutes is good. X and Y is good. I really like this one. Um 
there's good stuff in there. So uh, if if you ever need someone in your life to defend Coldplay, like hit me up. But I was about to that's say that's not Tim. That's not no. Tim. I'm not. I'm not the one in my family who wrote an apologetics of Coldplay and put it on the interwebs. I wonder which one that was. Yeah. Well. Um. Pitchfork, for what it's worth, calls um, Viva La Vida uh, diluted, a diluted version of Octung Baby and Kid A. I'm here to ask, can we just stop haranguing Coldplay with U2 and Radiohead? <laughs> What's the purpose like, of that comparison exactly? I'm not, I don't understand it. Other, like, I don't, I don't get it. Octung so Baby, maybe the, a little bit, but like. I, I think the U2 of it all is just like hard on sleeve like play into the back of the arena bit like the biggest band in the world kind of thing which which i'll take like i'll i'll accept that but I, you know i get it to some degree um i think like with parachutes in particular like coldplay just got attached to the next radiohead thing like i thought about them for that episode but i yeah. wanted them here instead um and they've never been able to escape that even though it's not warranted <laughs> So I think like that's kind of where it, like they just can't escape those narratives. Um, again, they're not hurting <laughs> in any like material way, but I just I I I don't know. I get frustrated by the way people talk about this band, um, and I think it's it's like usually kind of unfair. Like I don't care if you like them or not, but I think it's just kind of unfair the narratives they get put in. Um, once again, just for emphasis, they're not hurting. They're fine, but I'm 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 having a uh, narrative disagreement here. Um, in 2008, Coldplay may well be the biggest band in the world, um, or you know, of non like classic rock division anyway. Um, and you know, this Viva La Vida comes out at pretty much the height of that. Um. And I think it's an interesting swing for them to take. Like, this is not an experimental album in like true, like the true sense of experimental as a genre. Um, but for them, it's something different, and like it's actually kind of a risk. And um, just while I'm being glib about who we compare them to, why not the Talking Heads? Because on Viva La Vida, Brian Eno is here. They're bringing in a bunch of tribal rhythms and tribal influences. There's Afropop on this thing. There's Indian music resonances. Uh, it's an actually impressive array of like global music stylings made into accessible pop, uh, much like Talking Heads were up to when Eno was in the fold. Um, so it, it, you know, again, I'm I'm on direct record of saying we shouldn't compare people to Talking Heads, but um I, I think there are other ways to think about this band and that they're actually up to some fun stuff but they i don't like they're just so big at this point that it's really hard to dig into them as like doing nuanced things but i i actually think that's what viva la vida is doing um and i think the right the 2008 9 of it all um i want to think about it this way so while artists like Lil Wayne or, or like Radiohead are kind of breaking open how artists can reach fans, um, how to monetize their work, how to market themselves, all that stuff, 
um, right? This is coming when the Napster lawsuit is pretty much settled, but streaming is not far away, which is basically just legalized what we sued kids for before. Um, and, you know, not to get it, like the, the legality of it all is not the focus of this, but just the, the way that changes consumption of music, where singles have always been important, but this kind of like the rise of streaming sort of changes what music releases are even kind of looking like that something like a mixtape which for a rapper used to be like okay i need to get my name out this is like an example this is a a sample like this can get me some recognition or a deal or something like that and then you make the bigger thing Honestly, if you just release a bunch of singles or a bunch of mixtapes with like just the strongest stuff, that can be even more effective than a whole album. That's just kind of where we are with how we consume music. And I think Viva La Vida is this really interesting play. At, okay, well, how do we have all the singles that we need and also still build a cohesive album or something that like is interesting in its own right? And I really think that's what happens here. I mean, this has the big songs, the title track. Um, it has Violet Hill, Strawberry Swing, Lost. Um, right? There's the big singles here, the ones that stand out, the ones that remain, um, especially the title track, I think. But, you know, they're actually doing something conceptual with this album. And you can see from the cover um, and a lot of the lyrical imagery, like this is one concerned with revolution or with rebellion in, you know, kind of general ways. The title track is actually kind of digging into the French revolution, which the, uh, the album cover suggests and which their um, kind of a tire for the tour cycle uh, leans into. Um, but you'll get those kind of actual moments of like, social sociopolitical engagement um they're never terribly you know detailed i don't want to you know you're not going to cold play for your like deep political takes but their willingness to try that and put that right next to all of the personal songs that we still have here the stuff about love about relationships about just you know wanting connectivity um their kind of elimination of that gap between the personal and the political their willingness to put that together and their willingness to kind of conceptualize that under rebellion, under revolution, um, under what that looks like at a personal intimate level and at a more societal level. Um, I commend it. Like, I like it. It's cool. Again, you're not going here for super nuanced stuff, but just their willingness to do that and to make something like this when they could have just made X and Y over and over and over and made billions of dollars. Um, like, I think it's a genuine swing here. Um, so I think it's an interesting thing for them in this moment. I'll talk about it a bit more as like a progression of music thing, but also just right kind of, how are we going to conceive of albums as we get into this era of you need the singles and those are honestly all people want, but like, okay, how can we have those and actually make an album that is different on its own, that's unique as an experience still, um, that is something different from just a a place in which singles exist amongst filler. Um, I think this is a really good example of that. Like, um, 
you know, clearly I like it, but uh, any, I don't know, any comments or thoughts on that, Tim, before I get into a little bit more? Um, I think the thing that is sort of ironic about this is that what... <laughs> Am I angry enough? <laughs> no, no, it's it's not it's not the the anger that's ironic. I think the the thing that sort of strikes me is like how much it felt like even at the time Viva La Vida dominated that album. Um, mm. like it it felt like it was the it was the first Coldplay album, and I had been paying attention to Coldplay with like greater interest than the vast majority of other bands at that point. Um, but this was the, this was the first Coldplay album where like a year out, I struggled to like bring up what the other songs were after the, the big, um, the big single, like that was, that was the first time that happened to me, which I think is, is kind of ironic, especially cause I don't know. I mean, you would know better than I do, but like, it, it really does feel like Viva La Vida is like the one from this thing and there's not like a a secondary one like i feel like for x and y just for comparison's sake like the um the one that i think everyone sort of expected to like be bigger was speed of sound which had that that life but then fix you of course turns into like the national anthem of the cw and then and then sort of took over from there um and like i think you can go back and do that for for other albums as well so i don't know i'm i'm interested to hear what the hear the twist i feel like there's a twist i'm interested to hear the twist um i would just say uh, violet hill in particular was really big at the moment it was actually the lead single um i think you're right that the title track kind of lives beyond that in a way but um like right during the marketing promotion and like during the tour i think there were quite a few from this one that were like pretty popular not in maybe the same radio ways as like speed of sound or or like something like that but um but like i I think those tracks were there um I just, like I think there's a wide range on this thing too. So stuff like the title track or Life in Technicolor or Lost, like these are play into the rafters. They're these big anthemic things from Coldplay that we we know them for. We know they can do. They do them very well. Um, I think in general this album is. It's hard to call Coldplay hard, but like it's more gnarly guitar work than they indulge anywhere else. Um, something like 42 i think makes that really clear like there's a middle section in there that almost kind of warrants radiohead comparisons um it's pretty squirrely guitar work in there um violet hill has kind of a a militant almost minor tenor to it and it's a it's an anti-war song um and suspicious of like um basically the uber religious right um there's uh stuff like um lovers there's several songs on here lovers in japan being one that like are sweets um so there's i think three songs that like hit the six minute mark but all of them are basically two parts um so there and you know i mentioned before kind of all the different kind of types of world music that they're pulling in here like this is a like an actually 
nuanced and kind of experimental thing, at least compared to what we expect of Coldplay. Um, and I think it, you know, it is funny that Viva La Vida is the one that lives on because, you know, just listening to it, it is like that big anthem that sounds really happy and poppy. Um, and it's really about like Marie Antoinette watching people come to decapitate her. <laughs> like it's written from that side of the, of the French revolution. Um, and I think maybe, you know, if there is a twist, that's kind of the twist. That, of is, like, that is a twist. Yeah, like, I think this is Coldplay, right? They know how to play to their type, but they, they are twisting it here, actually. Um, and, you know, something like the title track, something like Violet Hill makes that clear, something like um, the final track, Death and All His Friends, um, which is one I really like. It has a great swelling moment to it but the you know the final refrain of that is i don't want to battle from beginning to end i don't want to cycle of recycled revenge i don't want to follow death and all of his friends um i really like that like i think that's a good you know is it the best lyricism ever no but i like that um and i think it's pretty effective for kind of what we understand coldplay as and what we need them for um that there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of pain there's a lot of you know anger and sadness here but you know trying to find that moment past it um trying to find that kind of you know just that that little bit of joy in life or that anthemic quality to it um it's kind of a new sincerity in a way and like to me that's sort of where viva la vida sits in terms like musically speaking like I don't think it's a far step from some of the songs on here to like Mumford and Sons or the kind of the folk uptick in the early 2010s um, or other bands like uh, Airborne Toxic Event or even Arcade Fire who are already going at this point. But right, that sort of big earnest arena rock hard on your sleeve um, and kind of quietly experimental thing like Coldplay is doing that. I think they're helping lead that in some way, and it's gonna become bigger in the the 2010s. Arcade Devi Fire again deserves some credit for this as well. Um, but I think you see Coldplay kind of, you know, helping that transition along from the ubiquity of their early stuff, which is sad boy shit, to this, which again near the end of the album in particular has that turn of like, yeah, that darkness is still out there. But I don't like I don't want to live in that. I want something else. And, you know, this seems to kind of be Coldplay fighting with their own image in some ways. Um, so I think for them, kind of an important moment. I think like in Rainbows, we see this in, at an interesting moment in or an interesting transitory moment in what rock and alternative are up to. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of the bigger stuff in the five, 10 years after this are kind of in the image of Viva La Vida. They're the big, you know, arena, um, the, the, the albums with arena aspirations, like, and that kind of sincerity. Um, and again, I think, you know, less a deliberate marketing thing, but more of, uh, than Lil Wayne or Radiohead perhaps, but, you know, just kind of what can an album look like? What can a band like us do look do with an album where, you know, two, say two massive singles from the preceding three 
okay, well, how do we how do we build something that is unique and also still has the singles that will survive this kind of changing model of music consumption? So I think it's doing a lot of interesting stuff. And again, this 2008, 2009 moment, I didn't even get into the like the political readings. I kind of enjoy doing with it of like, you know, it, the, the dangers of reactionary politics and like what it means as a statement at the end of Bush and like in hindsight, what it means for the Obama era, like, there's a lot more happening here than I think people give Coldplay credit for. Um, and that's just kind of interesting in itself, but that's Viva La Vida. <laughs> anyway, that was Wonderwall. Um, I, I mean, I do, I do agree that it is doing, it is doing different stuff like Violet Hill, like you're saying, like it doesn't, it doesn't sound like most other Coldplay songs up to that point, you know, like it, it does have a different, um, like a different timbre and i mean that like musically like it just it sounds like a different kind of piece of music um and i did not remember that that was the first single but that is definitely like a targeted thing surely um to to make your first single from from your album after a run of success like they've been having into something which is you know actively maybe even a little confrontationally different yeah and i think I'm not at all suggesting that Coldplay is the first artist to do this, but I think, you know, it's really easy to make the separation between, okay, these are the political acts and these are the personal acts. And, you know, I would suggest maybe this is a moment in popular, like pop rock, alternative, whatever, like that sphere anyway, you know, kind of seeing those things as inherently together, which is true. Like, this is kind of a big moment for that, I think. Um, and something that maybe, you know, the lines get blurred a bit more afterwards. Like, I would make that argument to some degree. Like, I think that's happening here. And I think that's important for this moment, too, where there's more realization of, like, you know, those artists don't need to live in separate worlds. Like, those, the personal and the political are bound in those ways. And, who better than potentially the biggest band in the world to like take that shot. Um, I think it mattered. Um, I, you know, like I said, I think what Coldplay does matters. Um, and whether you like it or not, whatever, but they're, they're, they're pushing in some interesting ways. So um, I'm pretty sure I've talked for like two hours. You ready for spiel or do you have more? <laughs> no, I was about to say, actually, we are sort of running longish. So spiel might, might need to be short. Who could have foreseen me running long with Radiohead and Coldplay? I, I tell you. Um, the entry today on the spin list, number 56, is Lil Wayne's The Carter 3. comes out in 2008, and I want to look at the theme of Best Album Nominees from 2009, of which The Carter 3 is obviously one. And thinking about kind of the the album's importance to that, that moment, that era, like why they could be the best of that year. Um, for Lil Wayne, I think that comes down to his ability to use the internet, to use the web to get himself out there and to produce content and to um, write his sort of presaging of SoundCloud rap in that way. And just musically, he is between eras in a weird way, but honestly kind of embodies all of them in a really interesting way. So Lil Wayne kind of definitely of his moment in, um, in cool ways. Uh, so the two options to Tim. First is Radiohead's In Rainbows. Comes out in late 2007. 
famously as a pay what you want album and that's sort of the narrative just tied to it um which right that's a big band taking a big swing for how to sell and uh, release their albums and this has become an increasingly viable model it still works a lot better if you're the popularity level of radiohead um but stuff like Bandcamp, right that's kind of what this is built on so they're moving the industry in certain ways there and musically i think this is all things radiohead um, kind of cumulative cumulatively um, and on the precipice of a major change in in rock and in indie and also at a major precipice of change in rock and indie is coldplay's viva la vida which i think is a turn for them uh thematically conceptually musically um there's a lot of you know genre blending and manipulation happening here um lyrically they're in new territory uh, as i was arguing i think they combine the personal and political in fun ways for a band this big um and in a in a moment this important for where rock is going um and i think too especially in hindsight this is a big uh, a great example for thinking about okay well how do we right singles are, are even more important now so like how do we have those but still build an album that feels different and vital in some way so that's viva la vida radiohead or coldplay tim now uh, the eternal question radiohead or coldplay um this is this was not close and then you said the thing about um about mumford and sons I and... thought it was just going to be full stop. This was not close. <laughs> it would be funnier if that were true. But then you said the thing about about Mumford and Sons, um, and and the sort of through line between the two of them that I had never made myself before. But which seems which seems like a like a very strong connection, like the dun 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 dun. Like that's not that different from Stomp Clap Hay. You know, like it's it's not that mm-hmm. that far off from that particular um, feeling of of uplift that comes with your with your banjo lick, um, and the, that the sense percussiveness of, of yeah of Viva La Vida the album it really plays through like Mumford and the the, mm-hmm. the luminaries and that kind of folk revival, the luminaries, luminaires, yeah, them too. <laughs> everyone go read the luminaries i was about to say that's like topical for this this is well (laughs) like that's like the same the same little stretch of years um in any event i'm still going within rainbows um i just kind of feel like (laughs) there's a switcheroo um i just i just think that there's something about robert plant winning a grammy for (laughs) album of the year that i kind of can't ignore here which is that even if you're doing something a little different, you know, that's that's not like what the original hits were like. Um, I think there's still a kind of a kind of connection that the music is having or maybe that the the audience for the music is having to something which is older and sort of creates a sort of feeling of nostalgia. And as we embark on a in the in the late 2000s on like a very new space politically for america and britain um as well as a very new space for all of these like for the musical firmament like who is the biggest rock band in the world who is 
um who holds the belt for being the best rapper in the world right now and like if the answer is really oh yeah it's it's Lil Wayne right now like <laughs> and you're sort of looking at at a world where it's very attractive to to go back to people who were big a few years ago um whether it's Alison Krauss who is on some Grammy winning um or best album winning uh piece like a few years before this or if it's going straight up and saying it's robert plant man um and i think that there's this combination between in rainbows sort of continuing the radiohead mystique um down to the fact that only radiohead would think to like in in this time period would think to say just pay what you want to pay for this man um down to the fact that it's still good and like it's important to note that every time someone is really nervous about like there's not any good music anymore or there's not any good movies anymore, those people are just wrong and bad. And and things like in Rainbows exist to say, no, it's there's still plenty of good stuff out here. There's still plenty of good stuff that can like show a way forward and act as a bridge. A long way of saying you just weren't gonna pick Coldplay. No, I mean I I was <laughs> I was very much willing to go with Coldplay. I was curious about about which direction uh-huh. that would go. <laughs> and like that the sort of anxiety of like what do we want out of bands that can fill arenas for us, I think is is one of the interesting questions and maybe that'll be your your third or fourth book after the Amtrak pilgrimage book. Um because I do think that's like a genuinely interesting question and in a moment where the idea of a of a you know lead singer lead guitar bassist drummer band filling in an arena like I don't know the the Imagine Dragons joke is still out there that that I always make um but here's I mean Coldplay at least is clearly better than imagine dragons and filling like a a lineage you know like they are part of part of a lineage in much the same way that like radiohead is part of its own exceptional and here's that word again like singular lineage well i tried coldplay uh i've been preparing for this one for a long time and i did my damnedest i suppose (laughs) and that's all coldplay would ever ask of me Thank you for listening. Um, unless Tim has any other snappy rejoinders, I'm, I'm just cut it off. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. Like I've prepared for this a long time. Like I'm imagining you like putting raw eggs into a blender, and, like drinking that for like six weeks before we do this episode. <laughs> I just had the scientist on replay for three mm. weeks. Um, no, thank you. Uh, I'm never sad to see Radiohead win things. So like I'm being somewhat performative here, but also I tried Coldplay. I tried. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed this, even uh, my ranting through most of it, um, I do that in other episodes and, and Tim does his own in other episodes. Um, so if you'd like to hear more, hear some of our back catalog or if you'd like to see his letterbox see uh the playlists that i probably should catch up on but am making 
Um, or if you want to see either of our blogs or just kind of who we are, the genesis of this project, other stuff we've done, please go to our website, subtitlespodcast.com. And please also stay tuned for part two of this episode where Tim will be talking about um, quite a famous movie with a famously annoying child actor and a theme of holding back the darkness, which I'm about to go listen to a lot of Coldplay to do for myself.